0: On the third Thursday of every month, pastors and church leaders from near and far gather together for a time of friendship, gospel encouragement, and ministry insights in the warehouse at the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. The following is from one such Third Thursday gathering. All right, y'all. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis. Thrilled that you all have uh, gathered with us here for Third Thursday. Um, During this time, feel free to hop up, grab some more food, grab some more drink. Um, I pray this is encouraging. Been looking forward to this time um, with you all. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking into wolves and false teachers. Um, Kind of interesting to talk about. Um, Also kind of scary to think about. But it's part of our responsibility as ministry leaders to protect the flock. To know, lead, feed, protect, and care for the flock that God has placed us as overseers um, and and ministry leaders over. So excited to dig in uh, to this with you. Next month, as way of announcement and reminder for some, we're doing our book exchange. So uh, it's not a joke book, like a book that you're like that's trash and you're gonna unwrap. It's one of your favorites. You're gonna go to McKay's, you're gonna order it, whatever, and wrap it or bag it, bring it with you, and we're gonna do like the dirty Santa exchange with it, still, still stay type of thing. Um, we're going to have some good food um, and hopefully it'll be a, a fun time. It's often where I get like a uh, necessary read list for 2024. Like the next year I find because everybody who, you know, opens up like, what is this? Aaron's like, yeah, I, I like that book because of this, this, and this. I'm like, ooh, that sounds good. Um, and others just like, that's interesting, but I don't want to read it. Um, but the oral report that was just given was helpful enough. So hopefully you'll be able to uh, participate in that um, and and bring one of your favorite books. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to get started with Wolves and False Teachers Protecting the Church. Lord, thank you for this moment, this time. Lord, that uh, we can gather with friends, Lord, folks from many different churches and backgrounds, yet all who love you and love being a part of your bride and love serving your bride, honoring you, Lord, striving to reflect you, to walk with you, Lord, um, day in, day out and helping others do the same. I pray for your special um, blessing on this time, that it would be informative, encouraging, um, and where appropriate instructive, um, or help us learn together a little bit more of what it means to lead in the local church, bless the families, ministries, homes, churches represented, Lord, be with health, be with finances, be with wisdom with each and every one of us in this room. Um, and those who couldn't be with us that are normally with us, who perhaps are, um, tuning in live stream or listening to this later, Lord be with them as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so my hope for us today is that we would better understand um, false teachers, um, toxic influences within the church, and how to guard and protect the church from them and, uh, and their tactics. So I want to start with Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, I know this, I'm certain of this, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not from outside of you, but from among you, not sparing the flock, They're, they're pursuing the flock. And from among your own selves, he's talking to ministry leaders. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, Christians, followers of Jesus. Therefore, be alert. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Be alert, watch out for others, watch out for yourself, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock. If we're not doing this, we're dangerous. If we're not on alert and paying careful attention to our own selves, we can easily be part of the problem. So this paying attention is progressive, it's active, it's ongoing. It's not like, okay, I've done that, now I can kind of cruise. If we're cruising with this, if it's assumed or automated, we're in trouble and probably part of a potential problem. Again, be on alert, watch out for others, watch out for yourself. You know, if there's one thing that kills the spiritual heart, passion, vitality of a church, it's false teaching. It's Um, toxic influences. Um, This is the soil in which a lot of scary, horrific, abusive issues sprout from. And so if there's one thing we shouldn't be surprised by, it's the presence of false teaching and leaders, potential leaders, pulling the focus off of Jesus and the gospel onto so many other issues. And this often is unintentional. Um, it's a drift, as, as I like to speak to it. It's a drift. You know, Paul told the elders at Ephesus to expect that folks from their own number would rise up and distort the truth. And in the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus, there's, they're full of like very clear, stern warnings to be on the lookout for false teachers, toxic influences evil voices. Elders, pastors, ministry leaders are responsible, among other things, to protect the church and to protect the church from those influences, from those false teachers, from those wolves. The pastor's um, wolf radar, it's exhausting, but it's always got to be on. The volume's got to be up for the sake of the sheep, the glory of God, the church, and their own hearts and because these toxic influences within the local church because these wolves and false teachers are bound to come from within he says from among yourselves and then he speaks directly to the leaders the elders of the churches like even from among your own number right so not only the church but even the elder board so to speak the ministry leaders they're going to come from within protecting your own spiritual vitality is a crucial part of protecting the church pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock. Don't overlook paying careful attention to yourself. And in Hebrews chapter three and verse 12, take care, brothers. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to ministry leaders. Take care, lest there be in any of you. They're not talking about outside people. They're talking about people within the church. Take care, lest there be, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you. You're following that evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, to drift away from the living God. As a way of fighting this, he says, exhort one another daily, every day. As long as it's today, do it today. That none of you may be hardened. This evil, unbelieving heart, he's he's saying is a hardened heart, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness, the trickiness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Take care, lest there be in any of you, in me, in us, an evil, unbelieving heart that's leading us to drift from the living God. This warning in Hebrews 3 is a sober reminder of a song that we sing, our hearts are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. In other words, we naturally drift towards danger, unhealth, or allowing danger or unhealth to seep into our own lives and our churches. Um, Sin's evil, toxic, deceitful influence can cause us to become hardened and skeptical, critical, and unbelieving. I believe this is why Paul urged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16 to pay careful attention to yourself and to your teaching. Having good doctrine and theology is not enough. He's like, you've gotta pay careful attention to you, to yourself, and to your teaching. The respected English commentator, Matthew Henry, if you're familiar with him, he says, those are not likely to be skillful or faithful keepers of vineyards of others who do not keep their own. So a wise spiritual leader is self-aware. He knows, she knows where they're likely to be tempted, where they're open to attack. They're cognizant of their weaknesses, their character flaws, what Richard Lovelace calls one's character flesh as opposed to the spirit. Um, he's, he's commenting um, really on what John Owen counseled us to do. He said, John Owen said, finding out the subtleties, the policies, and depths of any indwelling sin to trace this serpent in all its turnings and windings to be able to say at its most secret, deceptive actings, this is your old way of course, and I know what you aim at. They're aware of where they easily drift, and they're aware of how the enemy has attacked them and whooped them time and time again. And they're working to build perimeters, gutter protection, like in bowling, to keep themselves from drifting to those places. The wise leader is diligent, not just to fight sin, but to practice positive discipline. So it's not just staying away from certain things, but it's embracing prayer as a way of life, embracing meditation, solitude, silence, studying scripture, fasting, confessing sin one to another. And um, I, I use this like a thought of prophetic driftings. They're aware of their, they have a prophetic drifting knowledge, right? They're fighting the drift where there may be a future drift. So it's like, if I was to drift today, what would, where would I drift? Like, what would be the easiest way that I would find myself in a sin that I regret, in a sin that's easy to cover up? Where, where would I easily drift? And then, so in other words, you plan your failure and reverse engineer your failure, reverse engineer your driftings so that you never get there, prophetic driftings. Also the positive discipline of Repentance turning to Jesus to find what you thought could be found elsewhere, practicing the positive disciplines of things like kindness, intentionally stepping into places where you have to serve and it costs you something. Um, These all work in us, sort of like turning our heart toward the Lord. And if our heart is a radio station, it's like tuning our heart to his frequency, to where we understand who he is, what he wants from us. Um, The fact is that those who are aspiring to church leadership are bound to experience tremendous discouragement, a lot of frustration, empathy fatigue, and spiritual attack. This is common amongst ministry leaders. The well-known Puritan pastor, uh, Richard Baxter, he wrote this, the tempter will make his first and sharpest attack on you. Speaking of ministry leaders. He has long practiced fighting, neither against great nor small, comparatively, but against the shepherds that he might scatter the flock. Take heed then, for the enemy has a special eye on you. You are sure to have his most subtle insinuations, his most incessant solicitations, and his most violent assaults. He's coming for those who are responsible to protect the church. He hates the mission of God. Satan hates the mission of God. He's out to destroy you, your family, your platform, your influence, your reputation, your ministry, your church. And if he can make you the instrument of your own ruin, the destruction is even greater. So practically, how can we guard and protect not merely the flock, but as a way of protecting the flock, how can we protect our own hearts? I have three ways that we can protect our own hearts, three tested strategies of how we can guard our own hearts so that we're not overwhelmed by an evil and deceitful, unbelieving heart. One, cultivate personal intimacy with God. Cultivate personal intimacy with God. Nourish your soul and your mind in the word daily. And this is not, I encourage you, let this be more than studying scripture for a presentation, Um, a a lesson, a sermon, um, a report, a post that you're gonna share online. Spend time in the word daily and unhurried time in prayer. I encourage you to plan certain moments of prayer throughout your day and then work it into a conversation to where when your reflex, when something frustrating happens, your reflex is to pray. Stress, here's how I pray about this. Somebody aggravates me about how they drive in traffic. Turn that into prayer. Um, Like everything, like you're living in this constant when, when your day from beginning to end, it's almost like a somewhat interrupted but constant line of prayer. It's like an open, you're always on speakerphone. The phone's always on and it's always on speakerphone and it's overhearing everything that's going on. That's how we're to live our life in regards to prayer. He's always available, always listening, always speaking if we'd enter into those moments. Set aside days on your calendar for solitude, for planned uninterrupted silence, personal renewal, reflection, thinking. Practice spiritual disciplines that keep your soul refreshed with a sense of awe, of love for the glory of God. Perhaps the greatest temptation of of ministry leadership is that we overplay doing at the expense of ignoring being. And so sure, good leaders get stuff done But effective ministry, true, lasting, effective ministry is always an overflow of a heart that is just aflame, or as we would say in the 80s, on fire for God. It's just hot for God. And so ministry leaders, let's focus more on growing our intimacy with God than growing our church's attendance or budget or number of small groups multiplying. Let's invest there. That is a primary way that we can protect the flock of God is protect our own hearts. And that's the easy, one of the easiest things to fake. But, and I believe this is true, your sin will find you out. My sin will find me out. That's why it's so important to bring light to that so that we can disclose that as a, uh, preventatively so that it doesn't come out later in a news article, right? So, How to guard your own heart. Cultivate personal intimacy with God. Two, mortify sin. This isn't fun to talk about. It's not sexy to talk about this. Um, But mortify sin resolutely, relentlessly. John Owen wrote, um, and he was reflecting on Romans chapter 8. Since it is our duty to mortify sin, we must be at work. He that is appointed to kill an enemy... If he leave, striking before the other ceases living, does but half his work. Continue to mortify your sin. Continue to mortify your sin. Pride manifests itself in careless, apathetic disposition towards sin, but humility brings with it a certain watchfulness. And I love what Richard Lovelace said. He said, "A humble saint is so suspicious and skeptical, okay? of nothing in the world as he is his own heart. A humble saint is so suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. Is this true for you? Let's work to where this is true for us. The greatest mission field in the world is my heart. The most overlooked mission field in the world is the ministry leader's heart. Remember Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Many of you probably have heard about Scott Saul's um, having to resign, right? Um, From Christ's Perez. And um, I, I was reading this article. Bob Spintana, a friend of mine, wrote about it and he posted it. And I saw some comments, and it's so easy to shoot wounded the Christian churches really good at doing such a horrible thing as that. Um, but I just wrote in there, "Just take heed lest we fall." Like This is another example that we can learn from that we can be just like this. Um, no matter how much progress you make in sanctification, you're always vulnerable. You're always vulnerable. For practical help in putting sin to death. If you haven't read The Mortification of Sin by John Owen, um, it's a really good book. Look for the abridged, updated. (laughs) Uh, The language can get clunky. Um, Let me read 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. So Paul's writing to the ministry leaders of the church. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the spiritual, same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock, Christ, that followed them. And the rock was Christ. That's why it's capitalized. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness because of their rebellion, their pride, their sin, now, these things took place as examples for us. And there's modern day examples of this too. I just spoke of one. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, that we might learn from other people's mistakes. If we don't learn from history. You know the saying, we're destined to repeat it, right? Do not be idolaters as some of them were. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality. Now, He's talking to ministry leaders. He's not talking to unbelievers outside the church. He's talking to those who are responsible to know, lead, feed, protect, and care for the local church. He's saying these serves as an example. Do not be idolaters. Do not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And remember, 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, as they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is why it's so important for us to cultivate a heart for the Lord and a hunger for him. With temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Bring honest, robust accountability into your pursuit, which leads me to the third point of how to protect ourselves Create honest community. I mean, we hear about this all the time. We tell our people to do this. But leadership is lonely. The longer you are in church leadership, the easier it is to insulate yourself. I mean, it's a natural reflex and practice considering how many times you've been stabbed in the back and burned and lied to your face, and it, it takes a toll. So you develop thick skin. There's a cost at developing too thick of skin. The longer you're in the ministry, the more you realize how true loneliness is to the leader of the church. Because the dangers posed by needy, divisive, power hungry people often, spiritual leaders drift to isolating themselves from community. And for the most part, this is a tragic mistake. I've heard it said that a shepherd who doesn't smell like sheep is not a shepherd. Shepherd smells like sheep. He's around people. He's around community, not isolated from it. It's easy to focus on shepherding the flock while forgetting that we too are a sheep ourselves, a part of God's flock. And so we're to do all that's required of the average Christian in the New Testament, but more, not less. None of us can see our own faces. We need people around us who know us well, who we trust, and who we believe can be honest with us about the truth about ourselves. We need community who can encourage us in the gospel to help us see our own sin and unbelief, pride, and idolatry. You need friends around you who know you well enough to graciously call you out on certain responses that aren't normal for you, but because you've invested time in that relationship, they know what normal is so they can compare it and be like, something's off. But if you're not known and they don't know a normal, like you're, you're not gonna have the benefit of the one another's in the New Testament. You need to spend time enough for others to know you and predict you and care for you. Creating this kind of community is difficult, especially for ministry leaders because you can't just trust everybody but it's still critical because if you don't have it, you're isolated and even more vulnerable to spiritual attack. So I encourage you, don't make excuses for why you're not pursuing community. Pursue this, figure it out, do what you have to do because I know it's, you got to get creative with it. Particularly as the larger your ministry gets, the more complicated it is to find that accountability, community, and family feel with people. And most, most pastors who have fallen, many who we could list off that we know, from the 80s until today let alone throughout church history a common theme is an is an absence if you look across the board whether it be disqualification or suicide a common theme is a lack of true accountability a lack of deep friendship and a lack of authentic community around that person i would encourage you to like think through common variables of those that we know that we could list off that have taken themselves out of ministry or life? What's common threads with those folks? Think about that sometime. And that's where you're going to drift. And then begin to reverse engineer that so that you could put guardrails, traffic cones, traffic lights, warning signs, that are gonna keep you from going down the same path. I don't want this for me, I don't want this for you. So maybe practice that, think through some commonalities that you can know. But as I've studied it, I know there's a a long list of, of things that I've found that are common for folks who have taken themselves out of life or ministry, who were in ministry. Some of those is true accountability, deep friendship and authentic community. Now, next I want us to consider how to protect the flock in regards to doctrine, guarding and sound doctrine. The word that's translated sound doctrine in the New Testament is the Greek word "hugianos," which literally means healthy. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. If it's not sound doctrine, it's unhealthy doctrine. The word is translated, when it's translated sound, it has the connotation of the soundness of like a ship's hull. It's solid, there's no leaks, it's secure, it's safe and dependable. These linguistic connections help us get a sense of the subtle destructiveness of false teaching. False teaching is like a crack in a hole. False teaching is like a a cancerous tumor that attacks an otherwise healthy body. It starts out barely barely noticeable, but then it begins to grow over time, begins to become discomforting. Diagnosed as a disease, it slowly brings about death. False teaching is like that small leak, that small tumor left untreated will kill the body and sink the ship. And it's often easy to spot the most grievous, like over-the-top examples of false teaching. Those are easy, but they're rare. And they're typically easy to deal with because they're so over-the-top. But the subtle things... Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, my favorite preacher, he observed this. He said, the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. In other words, he's spending all the time talking about what's wrong instead of emphasizing the right things. I believe this is why Paul charged the elders in Ephesus, as we've read, to keep watch over yourselves and be on the alert. The Greek word used here has a sense of that constant ongoing vigilance persisting in this. So elders, pastors, ministry leaders, they're the first of all to keep watch over their own souls, make sure they're rooted in sound doctrine. And then they guard the church by aggressively and swiftly confronting false teachers, refuting, as Titus nine says, refuting those who contradict it. Refuting those primarily who are among their own number. It's, it's amazing how many pastors and ministry leaders speak about pastors and ministry leaders outside their church, outside their context, outside their even their influence. And they're overlooking what's going on where they're actually responsible. It's easy to have opinions about folks in Texas and California and New York and North Carolina or wherever, where we think, oh, it's false teaching, that's false teaching, and we we can make platforms out of this while also at the same time overlooking where we're truly to be responsible among our own selves and our own flock. Dealing with false teachers, it requires that we have a deep sense of wisdom and a keen sense of spiritual discernment. So take note to pray for this daily. Pray for deep wisdom and a keen sense of spiritual discernment. It's one of the few things in scripture that we're told if you ask for it, you get it no matter what. James tells us, you ask for wisdom, done. Pray for that. Pray for that daily. We must know when we're dealing with a savage wolf and when we're merely facing an opponent who just needs to be, as 2 Timothy 2 talks about, gently instructed in the hope that God will grant repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So is there a gentle response here or is there a slaying of this wolf? It takes discernment. And what I've seen in in my life through the churches where I've served, it's like they destroy the one who needs the gentle response and they're real gracious and tender with the wolf because, this is just my opinion, the wolf has a lot of influence. And if they send that person away, it's gonna take 15% of the church. So we've got to figure out a way of accommodating this person. But this person here who just needs a gentle response when we're frustrated today. We're just going to, get this, you know, cut them off and remove them. See ya. When really it should be the other way around. Elders must be able to discern the difference between properly refuting false teaching and being drawn into foolish, stupid arguments that are unprofitable and useless. And there are plenty of warnings in the New Testament about ministry leaders getting caught up in ridiculous babble and controversies about genealogies and so forth, theological conspiracies. According to 2 Timothy 2 and Titus 3, these aren't worth taking bullets for. Stand up for them, suffer some paper cuts, but they're not worth bullets. So I want to give you a real practical example. My brother, who's a pastor, um, he, um, he asked me how to respond to this text message. Um, he said, how would you respond from, from, from this? Uh, it's from a member of my church. I said, uh, right, here's, here's the text. Thanks, Brady, for prayers. It occurs to me that some of our people at our church may not be registered to vote. It is completely legal to do voter registration at a church as long as you don't tell them which candidate to vote for. The Family Foundation of Virginia is an associate of focus on the family. And I'm one of those who helped form the organization many, many years ago. The Family Foundation often produces a Virginia voter's guide. Again, it doesn't tell the voter how to vote. However, they list issues and enumerate each candidate's stance on those issues. If a citizen of Virginia wanted to vote for pro-abortion candidate for the United States, the voter's guide would clearly show that they should vote for President Joe Biden and not President Trump. As you can see, the leadership of our church must educate its people. It's pretty clear. As you can see, right? Um, we must educate its people regarding one of the most important moral issues of the 21st centuries. If I can be of any help, let me know, your brother in Christ, and he gives his name. All right, that's the text I got, right? Not divisive at all, right? (laughs) Uh, And so I I replied like this, you can respond how you'd like, right? That way, you don't have to take my advice, in other words. Like, that's always good to kind of put that out there. Um, I'd respond this way. Hey friend, um, thank you so very much for reaching out and sharing your perspective on this sort of issue. I appreciate hearing from our people; it means a lot. Thank you. As far as at our church and politics, my posture is that of Paul, where he decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. It's not that I don't care about these issues; I certainly care. It's not that we won't teach on the priority of the sanctity of human life; we certainly will. However, to use our platform and facility for anything political is to muddy the waters in regards to church and state. It's my conviction. to only allow the stumbling block to be Jesus Christ and nothing else. The extent that I go publicly politically is to encourage our people to vote. That's it. I don't feel comfortable, nor do I feel that it's wise to go beyond that. All right. That's where I'm at. You can disagree. Totally fine. That's response one. I said, or I'd simply say, hey, friend, thanks for reaching out. Great hearing from you. If this is something we feel we need to do, I'll reach out to you. Thanks for sharing pray that God leads us in wisdom here. Love you. Right. Um, Sometimes when you're dealing with somebody who's trying to make a platform out of something like this, um, it's a slippery slope in regards to, not that this is false teaching, but it can get the focus off the main thing in a lot of ways. And so sometimes when you respond to certain folks, you give them too much information, too much ammunition to return on you. And other times it's just good to be short and sweet and let's move on. Um, But again, that sort of stuff takes wisdom. You got to play this thing out. Like if we do this, how's this play out? If I respond, how's this going to be taken, received? It can't just be flippant like, oh yeah, you know, thanks. There needs to be something. Um, But so pray for wisdom. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Pray for discernment, prudence, knowledge, and these things discerning the differences between what's worth fighting for, what's worth just speaking into, but not really digging deep to defend it. Um, How do we grow in our ability to make these sorts of distinctions? First, every ministry leader should study the scriptures with the goal of knowing the enemy. In other words, learning what the Bible says about motives and conduct and strategies of false teachers, learning their way. Second, we should all seek to learn the differences between issues that are central to the gospel and peripheral to the gospel. Here at the Axis, we often use the metaphors of close-handed, open-handed issues to differentiate between the two. We will not budge on these things. These things we have opinions about, but half of them are probably wrong. So we're not really gonna like be dogmatic about these things. This, we're pretty convinced and we stand firm here close handed issues are worth fighting for. Open-handed issues, maybe charitable disagreement, debate, but definitely not worth losing a friend over or fighting over. You can learn about this distinction actually in the Bible. Uh, Paul uh, in Philippians and then in Galatians, check this out. Philippians chapter 1 and 15, Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Those who do it out of goodwill do it out of love knowing that I'm put here in prison for the defense of the gospel. Now, those who do it out of envy and rivalry proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to actually, through their teaching, like afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, as long as Christ is proclaimed, I celebrate and rejoice in that. In Galatians 2, He says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But then he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. He was spreading that sort of influence, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Before them all, public confrontation. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So evidently, the teachers in Philippi, though ministering from impure motives of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition, they somehow were not corrupting the gospel. It wasn't worth confronting them all. Paul was just like, I still celebrate this. He disagreed with them. He didn't engage in a debate. He took comfort in the most important fact that Christ was being proclaimed. But in the church in Galatia, he publicly confronted Cephas, Peter, because his behavior was not in line with the gospel. It was, the, as he played that out, he knew this was going to get out of hand. And so basically it was Peter's favoritism toward Jewish Christians was confusing the gospel in the eyes of the Gentile believers. And so Paul rebuked him in the presence of all of them. One, he remained silent over. The other, and that was personally, on, like he had to absorb that because it was mainly about him but then the other he had to confront. One was open-handed, one was close handed One dealt with something central to the gospel, the other secondary. One was worth fighting over, the other was not. So if you don't feel yet comfortable guarding sound doctrine in this way and discerning the differences, because not every molehill is a mountain, right? Not, not everything that moves needs to be shot, Right? but if you don't feel comfortable in guarding sound doctrine on this as a ministry leader, or if like further thought shows that you, you lack some competent skill in this area, man, for your sake and those that you oversee, discern this and ask a spiritual leader who respects you and knows you to help you hone in that skill. Ask them to speak into that. Ask them to like, how can I develop this more? Can I run some scenarios by you? Strive to work in these areas. Commit yourself to like building knowledge and skill and confidence in this biblical and theological reasoning, right? Remember, it's not about your ego stepping back and asking one of your supervisors in the church, someone who's disciples you or, or over you, so to speak, like asking them, admitting this weakness and asking them to help develop it. That's better than you trying to fake it until you make it and hurting so many people along the way. You don't want to be the guy who unintentionally lets in a wolf or that shoots a sheep thinking it's a wolf. And this happens. False teachers don't announce themselves. They don't come in and say, hey, I'm going to like sow a lot of discord and toxic influence around this place. Are you cool with that? They never do that. They're usually coming in as the sweetest person. So kind, they volunteer for everything, they want to be seen as valuable, um, almost to the point where you can't imagine doing your church without them. And then they leverage that to begin to sow discord and their influence. They leverage that. They sneak in subtly, like Matthew seven fifteen, wearing sheep's clothing. And they're men and women. By the way, you know, An easy way to tell if someone is a wolf. Wolves tend to pull sheep over to themselves, away from the shepherd and the group, typically one by one. Hey, what'd you think about that? You you, you remember at the business meeting what he said? What do you think about that? Do you think he meant this, this, this? Mm, I never thought about that. Well, yeah, the reason I asked is because, you know, and boom, there's one. And they go find another. Hey, what'd you think about, got two. Sheepdogs always try to keep the sheep near the shepherd. Let's ask him about it. Let's go ask her right now. Let's go ask her right now. Oh, no, 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 no. Wolves try to pull and isolate. So if you see that sort of influence pulling away, sort of you can tell that toxic influence and that pride and swagger about that person that you're concerned with is spreading to other people. It's typically a sign of a wolf. And again, not every wolf has to be handled in, in such an over-the-top way. Sometimes it's just a confused sheep and someone who's been hurt. So don't shoot all the wolves. Sometimes they just need to be cared for to see healing. Um, you've got to know your Bible. You've got to know your doctrine to be able to discern these sorts of things. You must be a discerning person to see this influence, this toxic influence, and to feel its presence. A church is the household of God, as 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us, and wise ministry leaders must guard it and protect it well. And as your friend, hopefully you consider me that, and from my heart, when you don't spend consistent time in prayer, And in hearing from the Lord, from his word, when you're not giving yourself to the food of scripture and to prayer, you subtly become a danger. You're no longer as helpful as what you would have been otherwise. Our words over time drift to being laced with a, an arrogant, skeptical, critical, disgruntled tone and nature. And it's infectious, it spreads, it's contagious, it's sinful, and it's problematic, and it can come from us. You'll slowly get this strut about you. You'll recycle things that you've heard on the internet, through podcasts, through other sermons you begin to lose that walking with God and you begin to give reports essentially on what it's like to walk with God in theory because it's no longer in practice. You've got to be men and women of the word more than just for a sermon or presentation. Your family needs this. Your own mental health and spiritual health needs this. Your church needs this be a student of the word, don't outgrow that. Just because you got a ministry degree from a Bible college or seminary doesn't mean that you're no longer a student. If anything, you've now learned more to be a better student. You have better tools to be a better student. And in doing so, you'll be a healthier roommate, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, citizen, church member, missionary, discipler, pastor, and so I pray that you receive that as encouragement and, and as and admonishment and, um, and that you, along with me, I've not arrived here, but that we would pursue this daily. Again, that's a common thread of those who have killed themselves that were in the ministry or disqualified themselves. It's not just lack of community and accountability and things like this, though those are there. Another commonality is they... Abandoned the walk with Jesus, and they begin to have to tell stories from what it was like, because it's no longer a daily experience that they're living from. That freshness and vitality is not there, and so pray for a, a passionate walk with Jesus, for Him to create a desire for His Word and for prayer from your own heart. Ask him to help you care for these things and ask him to give you creativity in your walk with Jesus, not just in your leadership structure and your ability to multiply small groups and pray for those things for sure, but, but also pray for creativity in what it means to be in intimate relationship with God and study and read the whole Bible, not just your wheelhouse. Because some of the most bitter, angsty, angry pastors and Christians are those who just read Bible verses and they don't read the whole Bible. So give yourself to the whole, uh, J.C. Ryle said, it takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. And so live according to all of God's word and not just your favorite part of it. And in doing so, you're going to discover a more complete and trustworthy systematic theology that you now understand and know and believe and follow and you know how to refute because you know what is healthy, what is sound, what is whole doctrine. Otherwise, how can you refute those who contradict it if you don't know it yourself? So memorize scripture, don't just search for passages. Meditate on scripture. Don't just share on social media a verse. Listen as you read and pray. Don't just read and speak. Obey and don't just hear. And prioritize. Don't just do it if there's extra time. But Give priority to these things. It's easy to look the part of a ministry leader by searching, sharing, reading, hearing, when there's extra time. It becomes much more vibrant when you're memorizing, absorbing, meditating. And meditating and worrying is the same muscle. So if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. And so doing so with scripture in mind and obeying and not just knowing, but obeying. So I hope this is encouraging personally for you and also in how it plays out into the local church. I went a little long I wanted to have time for some Q&A and group thought and discussion. Um, But thanks for being here. I wanna pray for us. Lord, please help us in this. Lord, I pray that none of us would make shipwreck of our faith and harm the influence and reputation of our families or churches, but especially trampling on your very blood as warned about in Hebrews. Lord, help us, help us, each one of us, from the newest in the ministry to those who are the most seasoned in ministry, help each of us take heed lest we fall and help us speak this to our own ministry teams. God, please protect the life of the men and women in this room. Protect them from the evil one. Protect their church's life from the evil one. Please, help us all finish well and celebrate your faithfulness as we celebrate 50 years in ministry, as we celebrate our 90th birthday, as we, Lord, let us live long, fruitful lives that are just full of gospel awareness and growth and ministry expansion. Lord, getting there is taking care of these things today. Help us do this. Please help us do this. Thank you for my friends. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.